parent whose children have just flown the nest, the chief exec who's just been made redundant, the family matriarch who has cared for generations of children and now finds herself needing to be looked after by those she once cared for. Each of those people might find themselves asking the question, what's the point? I'm practically useless. I have no sense of purpose or significance. What's the point? And just like us digging our leaky cisterns, which we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago, to try to earn our self-worth, when we try to find our significance in things outside of our relationship with God, it can cause us some problems. So our mission today comes in two parts, and they come in a very specific order. Loving God, and then loving others. There's an old document, actually Mike mentioned it um, perhaps a month or so ago, called the Westminster Catechism, which is a big word, but basically it was a tool which was used to teach new believers and children the foundations of the um, Christian faith, and it comes in question and answer form. It was written in the 1640s, so it's not quite as inclusive in its language as it might be. But in trying to pin down the basics of the Christian faith, the very first question that's asked is this, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love that God has created us with a sense of purpose which is absolutely inclusive. We don't need special skills, detailed knowledge, or physical strength. This is a purpose that we all have, and it's absolutely the most important purpose going. And you might notice it's not the kind of purpose that you can tick off your list and then move on to something else. I've done loving God, now I'm going to do something more important. It is an inexhaustible, literally eternal purpose. We were designed and created for God's pleasure. It's the great honour of being able to touch and move the very heart of God. Being able to bring pleasure to the one who spoke creation into being. It's an awesome privilege, isn't it? When you first meet somebody, you might find it helpful to ask questions like, so tell me about yourself, what's important for you? Often we fall back on the familiar but maybe slightly less helpful question, what do you do? I bet when you've asked that question, you've never come across somebody who says, me, oh, I love God with all that I am. That's what I'm all about. I mean, I'm a builder by profession, but what I'm really living for, breath by breath, is to love God with everything within me. It's not what we do, is it? It's not what we say. Regardless of anything else God has called us to, whether that's to be a parent, a teacher, 
a carer, a vicar, a missionary, a prayer warrior. Above all of those things, our primary purpose is to love God. I think sometimes we can treat that as a bit of a menial task, as though it's a a kind of lowish thing that God has set us to do until we pass that level and eventually he'll give us something more important to do. But this really is the most important purpose going. You can bring pleasure to the creator of the universe. That's amazing, isn't it? Almighty God, heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And little old you and little old me, we get to bring him joy and delight. It's what we were put on earth for. You just don't get more significant than that. God has purposed that we spend our lives loving him. We find our life in loving him. Jesus tells us that the second greatest commandment, note the second, is to love our neighbor, to love others. And I do want to emphasize second because I think often we fall into the trap, especially those of us perhaps who do something caring for a living or as part of our ministry, we tend to think that loving others is the first thing that we need to be doing. But we can get into trouble that way. There's a risk perhaps for some of us that we try to find our security or self-worth through loving acts. There's a reason that we did these three sessions in the order that we did them in. We're looking for a situation where we're secure in the knowledge of the love that God has for us, that we're aware of the self-worth God gives us, and that we know our primary purpose is to love God with all that we are and find fulfillment in our relationship with him. And if we don't have those pieces of the jigsaw puzzle in place, at least to some extent, when we start talking about loving others, there's a risk that we can start getting into looking for those little gems of worth again, or to try to find our security in loving relationships with other people. And in a way, when we function like that in service to other people, it can be a cleverly disguised way of self-seeking, of trying to have our own needs met. And they're legitimate needs, aren't they? But we try to have them met in unhelpful places. It's what St. Augustine described as vice clothed as virtue. So what we're aiming for is being able to function from a position of liberty so we have no desire or demand that other people would meet our emotional needs as we love them. That we are living out God-given purpose assured that we already have God-given worth. 
Now, <clears throat> loving our neighbours so broad, such a huge task, it could involve um, something that we do for work, it could be a social justice ministry that we're involved in, it could be as simple as smiling at the retail worker who has served 50 people this afternoon and no one has made eye contact with him. Something as simple as that. Loving others should be an overspill of our relationship with God. But rather than trying to cover all the bases this morning, I thought what might be helpful is to spend just a few minutes thinking about what it would look like, what does it look like for us, for us as a Christian community, as a, as a church community, to love others with mental health in mind. So as I've been preparing for this, um, I've spoken to um, people who've encountered mental health um, issues or um, mental health problems, and uh, not people in this church, so not people that you would know, um, to glean from them what would be helpful for church to hear when it comes to mental health. So what I'm about to run through um, is drawn from my own observations and also from lived experience. So just a few points here. Number one, be patient. Let it be okay if you've prayed for somebody one week and they come back the next week and they're still struggling. Or the same month, or the next month, the next year. Let that be okay. If we go to God with the same old struggle, we don't expect God to roll his eyes and to be impatient with us. Do we know that God is incredibly patient and faithful with us, and we have the opportunity to demonstrate God's patience, God's faithfulness and compassion in those situations. So be patient. Number two, be and I recognize this as ironic as a baby's making a noise. This is nothing to do with the baby. Be, in the nicest possible sense, quiet. <laughs> Honestly, nothing to do with the baby. Um, it's just an acknowledgement. We don't need to have all of the answers. We don't need to have all of the answers. If you've seen it, and I say this with real, you know, humility, but if, you, if you've seen it written on a Christian poster with waterfalls or kittens, and I'm sobbing into my coffee, probably don't quote it to me at that point. It's probably not helpful. In the Bible, when Job encounters incredible suffering, his three friends choose to travel and visit him. And this is what the Bible says about that. This is Job 2, um, verse 13. It says, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, that we must only ever sit in silence. Not at all. But to misquote the song, sometimes we say it best when we say nothing at all. <laughs> There's no pressure. And I think this is the thing. When we see people in distress, we want to put that distress to an end. We want to put that suffering to an end. And so we scramble around trying to find something to say to end that suffering. And the reality is, if someone's really struggling at that point, you're not going to come up with magic words that are just going to make it all better like that. Your presence, your reassurance, 
the comfort that you provide, you know, that will be helpful. So don't feel a pressure to have to come up with something profound and wise. Be gentle. If a person had a broken leg, you wouldn't ask them to walk to the shop. If a person has a dodgy tummy, you won't ask them to go and run a marathon. But sometimes I think our approach to mental health can be a bit different for some reason. In 1 Kings 19, when Elijah is feeling so low that he prays that God would end his life, God doesn't ask him to fast and pray or tell him to go away and meditate on scripture. God provides food for him and he lets him rest. That's beautiful, isn't it? Is that the God we show when we respond to people's suffering? And number four, beware the ivory tower. When you train in counseling, um, often courses will mandate that you have your own counseling, that you go into counseling yourself. And for some people that's fine, but some student counsellors really take issue with that and they say, I've got nothing to talk about, there's nothing that I need to resolve, I'm fine. And that really worries me when I hear that because it suggests, here I am in my ivory tower, all fixed and sorted, and I will deign out of the goodness of my own heart to bend down, to stoop down to you broken, mixed up people and rescue you. It's, it's a really unhelpful approach. And actually, when non-Christians hear it from Christians, I think it can be really jarring. We need to be really careful of that attitude. As Christians, we have neither right nor reason to see ourselves as better than others. We are in constant, breath by breath, need of God's grace. We've read um, about these two greatest commandments from Matthew's gospel this morning. In Luke's gospel, when they're talked about, um, the teacher of the law asks a subsequent question. So who is my neighbor? You've told me to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And in response to that, Jesus tells the parable of the good Samaritan. And I'm sure many of us will be familiar with that. A man gets attacked, he gets beaten, stripped, his, um, all of his stuff's taken, and he's left half dead. And after a number of different people come along, the Samaritan comes along and rescues the man. He puts him in a, in a position where he can recover and be restored to health. Now, when we think about that parable, we tend to want to think about ourselves as the good Samaritan. But if we've got a decent grasp of the gospel, we must always, and this isn't just a once for all, this is, we must always, first and foremost, see ourselves as the one broken and in need of rescue. We must always, first and foremost, see ourselves as the one broken and in need of rescue. And look what Jesus did. Our rescuer didn't come as a mighty warrior or a majestic king. 
He came as a tiny, vulnerable baby. He lived a life loving God and loving others. And then he allowed himself to be broken so that we could be rescued. This is the God we were created to worship. We all have purpose. We all have significance. Wouldn't it be great to get to the end of our life, and even if we were never quite sure what we should be doing for a job or what we should be involved in at church, but we lived out these two purposes, loving God and loving others, with such passion that it was truly a life well lived. Surely there can't be a more fruitful life than one spent loving God and loving others. That's the life we were made for. That's the point. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have created us with a sense of purpose, a sense of significance, that you draw each of us into that. We're so glad, Lord, that we're not useless, we're not pointless, we're not purposeless. You've created us for these wonderful purposes. And Lord, would you lead and guide us to be able to be fruitful in those things, Lord. Cause us to behold your beauty afresh and to love you in deeper ways. And give us opportunity to love those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, June. So helpful, isn't it? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Broken man. Okay, we're going to go into a time of Q&A. And uh, let me just say a few things about this before we launch into it. In a moment, um, Lewis and Sam are going to come and play for us and sing for us. It's not so much for us a congregational song, but just to give us space and time to write down any question you might have. It might be a verse of scripture. You've always wondered what that means, maybe in relation to mental health. It might be a particular situation you're facing. You'd like to just raise it and ask a question. It might be something that June said in the past three talks, right? This is the third of three talks you'd like to ask that question. Please do. There are post-it notes scattered around, particularly on the ends of the aisles, and um, we can pass you out a post-it note or a pen if you need one. The pens are at the back and the post-it notes are at the back as well. Um, so you can write your question on there completely anonymously and just have it passed forward in a moment. Uh, Linda will come and collect them for us and bring them forward. So you can ask your question anonymously if you'd like. You can ask it on the live stream if you're watching this online and you'd like to ask a question there. I will pick it up. I'll put my phone out in a minute and have a look and see what questions are coming that way. If for any reason, can I just say this? We are, this is a sensitive topic. So if for any reason you just feel like actually that that question is bringing up something for me which is just too much right now, then please feel free to just use the side room. You can just drop out if you need to do that and get some space. That's no problem at all. If after this Q&A and after the end of the service, something has really struck you and you want to pray, uh, June will be available. I'll be available. I'm sure Linda will be available. Other people, we can minister to one another as well. 
and be available for each other and reach out to one another for prayer. Is that okay? So take a moment, Lewis, if you want to jump up and uh, come play for us. Take five. Think about your questions. Think about something that struck you over the past few weeks. Pop a question down, and in uh, four or five minutes or so, we'll gather those up. my shepherd I'll not want He makes me alive in pastures green He leads me by the still, still waters His goodness restores my soul I will trust in you, and I will trust in you alone, for your endless mercy follows me, your goodness will lead guides my ways in righteousness and he anoints my head with oil and my cup it overflows with joy I feast on his pure delight I will trust in you and I will trust in you alone for your endless mercy follows me your goodness will lead me I walk the darkest path, I will not fear the evil one, for you are with me and your rod and staff are the comforts I need to 
invite June back up. It's good to do this, isn't it? It's a good opportunity for a sort of a bit of back and forth uh, in church together like this. And there are some genuinely brilliant questions here. So let's just see if... Uh, Is this the hot seat? You, you can sit on the hot seat, June. You can I can get up there. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Let me start with this one. Um, is it better to back off for fear of making things worse if I notice someone is struggling? I don't have the skills. <laughs> I think unless you do something truly, you know, awful, it's, it's better to be a, a slightly unskilled but well-meaning friend than to not do anything. Um, there was a, a documentary on not that long ago. Um, oh, gosh. The Kemp Son what's his name? Do you know the one I mean? Gary, yeah, okay, so he did a, a documentary, and, and they really focused in on this idea of asking twice, so if you get a sense that someone, you know, is struggling, and you say, you all right, and they say, yeah, yeah, you ask a second time, are you though? Are you okay? Because that will often elicit, well, actually, I'm struggling a little bit, and even if your response to that is, that sounds difficult, you know, you're not going to go into a 50-minute professional counselling session. You know, that sounds difficult. Can I, can I support you to find some help? You know, if you, you don't need to have, like I say, you don't need to have all of the answers, but just to be able to show that you're concerned, I think, is a really helpful first step. So, yes, yeah, so I wouldn't be worried about, I wouldn't back off, um, even if it means that you know you're going to end up, you know, 
supporting the person to find someone who perhaps is better skilled at, at supporting them. But don't, yeah, I wouldn't back off from the question. That is, that is really good. And if anyone's ever met Tom Lowe from St Michael's, he always does this. Whenever he speaks to me, he goes, how are you, Mike? And I'd answer, he goes, and how was your week? And I'd answer that, and he goes, well, how are you doing? And I'd answer that, he goes, literally, you've literally just asked me the same question about three times. It is good, though, it brings it out. Um, this is related. Um, how can you respond in church? So this is the other end of that conversation. How can you respond in church when people ask you how you are and you're not? But people like to say, I'm fine. But obviously, what well, they want to mm. share. A bit of advice for those people. So, I mean, sometimes it... I think there is wisdom in picking the person that you speak to. So, you know, if I'm having a rocky week... And somebody, you know, somebody who I've never met before says, how are you? I'm not going to say, actually, let me tell you my life story. You know, so there is some wisdom about picking who you speak to, somebody that you trust, somebody that you feel is going to be, has capacity to manage what it is that you're going to tell them. Um, and you can be pro proactive. That's fine to approach somebody and say, do you know what? You know, you don't even have to wait for someone to say, how are you? You can approach someone and say, do you know what, I've had a really difficult week, or I'm really struggling at the moment, would you mind praying with me, or I'd really value meeting up for coffee and talking things through. So, you know, don't feel that you've got to be the wallflower about it. You can be proactive. But if somebody says, how are you, and you feel like you trust them, then you, and you might want to say, oh, can we, you know, find a quiet corner and, and talk or something? Yeah, is that? Mm, really good. Let me ask you this one. Um, there was a couple like this. Why is there so much suffering, dysfunction amongst humanity? Or another one that was similar. Um, mental health seems to be on the rise, particularly. Mm. Have you got any uh, <laughs> sort of, do you want to sort of offer any suggestions as to why that might be? Gosh, I mean, I think why is there suffering is just a massive question, isn't it? But I, but I do think there's something particularly around mental health. Where we recognise as Christians, don't we, that we are created for a relationship with God and we have these legitimate needs which are designed to be met in our relationship with God. And so when we're not having those needs met in that way, it causes us to go off kilter and to try to have those needs met in, in other ways, um, which, you know, which cause problems. And obviously we, we pick up uh, mixed messages or untruths along the way about ourselves and about the world, about other people. Um, and so there is that need to constantly have our thinking renewed. Um, and that I think those, when we believe lies about ourselves or about God or about others, again, can cause real problems for us. And I think probably we're still reeling from COVID as well. I think there's, and we'll see that for years to come. I suspect there'll be ripples of, of trauma really through, um, through what's been going on there. So yeah, good to be mindful of it. Thank you, June. Um, this one, what does it mean to be a new creation when you still may suffer with mental health issues? How has being made a new creation make a difference? Mm. So one of the things that I notice about that, that kind of question is, would we be asking that if we were thinking about a physical disability? You know, would, would somebody, for example, who has a visual impairment say, but I, I'm a new creation, I've come to Christ, but I, I still can't see very well, or somebody who uses a wheelchair, would they be saying, well, I'm, okay, I'm a new creation, and yet I still need 
to use a mobility aid. Um, so there, there is a we're a bit mixed up, I think, sometimes when it comes to mental health by comparison to physical health. Um, but, I, but of course, so there's, there's something that happens on two levels, isn't there? We come to faith, and, and so there's, we are a new creation, but there's a, a, we're still living in a broken, sinful world, um, and, and that is still having an impact on us, um, both in terms of things that have happened throughout history, things that happen to us through childhood and adult life, and things that happen to us beyond, you know, the point that we become a Christian. They'll, they'll still have an impact. We don't, we don't glide effortlessly through life once we come to faith, do we? So, but I do think there's things about, you know, having our, our thinking renewed, um, like it talks about in Romans, really, really useful, really important to, to constantly come back to, is my thinking in line with with scripture. We won't, we won't experience the fullness of that being a new creation in its fullest sense until um, eternity, you know, until um, we die or Jesus comes back. But that doesn't mean that we're not a new creation. We're still, we're still grappling in that middle ground. I think sometimes it's that idea of, um, you know, the po- is this in the Alpha course, the, the, the um, D-Day landings, the gap between the D-Day yes. landings and the end of the war? You know, so by the, by the time the D-Day landings in the Second World War had happened, it's like, well, you know, we kind of know which direction this is going in, but there's still that in-between stage before the war is actually declared over, and it's that we're living in that kind of mm. time. Awesome. Uh, two more. If you are struggling with a general belief that you are below average, how can you best challenge that feeling? struggling with a general belief that you are below average how can you challenge that feeling there's a phrase i love which is compare and despair and i think there's a real kind of helpful um thing to remember there that the moment we start comparing ourselves with other people we'll find people that perhaps are below us and people that are above us in our warped judgment what does that even mean so i think so I think there's something about that which is about, you know, don't, we don't need to compare ourselves with others. We are the person that God has created us to be. And then we have the question of, do I, you know, how do I best live out this life that God has given me with the skills and um, life experience and what have you that God's, that God's given me? And so we, we each see ourselves as that unique individual rather than, oh, well, on a gradient, you know, this person's up there and I'm probably 27th on that on that list, I think that's perhaps an unhelpful um, way to view it. But then I, I think, you know, if, if the question becomes more about, I don't believe that I have value, even if I don't compare myself to others, um, you know, to be praying about that regularly and to be asking God to, to reveal the truth to you. I mean, you, you can read scripture and see that logically, you know, what the truth is, but, but we really need to pray that God would bring deep down revelation to us of that so that we've we've got a felt sense that that's true rather than just a head knowledge and something else happening emotionally brilliant and finally most people say or many people say i will pray for you and i pray but is prayer and trust on its own enough some situations just require actual uh, actual practical help and resources yeah 
Yeah, so if we were thinking about the Good Samaritan, if the Good Samaritan said, oh, it looks like you've been through a really difficult time, you know, stripped and beaten and left half dead, I'll pray for you and walked off, it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a great story, would it? So there definitely is something about, you know, it's good to be able to offer to pray. And of course, we know that God ultimately is the one who can, can bring the change about. So prayer is really important. But yeah, of course, we all think about, if you, if you were to each think now about a time in your life which was really difficult where you felt low, and we'll all have those moments, if we think about that and then we think about what really helped us at that time, it might, you might not be able to remember the gems of wisdom that someone said to you, but you'll remember the person who sat up late at night with you and listened to you while you spoke, or the person who made you a dinner when you couldn't be bothered to cook for yourself or you know took you to a hospital you'll you'll remember those people so those practical things are really important yeah really valuable june don't go away um this is church right this is what we're doing sunday by sunday it's not just that it's a country club for poor people (laughs) this is a place where we come we gather we sit in the arms of our Heavenly Father receiving his affirmation so that we don't feel below average, we feel like an image bearer and a child, and then we love, care for, support, minister to each other. I'd never want this church to feel like something where the ministry all happens this way, you know, where it's from the pulpit, it's from the preaching, it's from the teaching, the church, that sort of thing. But we come Sunday by Sunday thinking, I'm going to minister. I'm going to be a minister. I'm going to be a a vessel for God's grace to the people around me, the people I speak to, asking those open questions. How are you doing? No, no, really. How are you doing? We can be there. We can be that for one another. June, thank you so much. I think it's worth... Wait, hang hang on. Hold your round of applause. It's... um, June is... um, June, you've been superb. These three sessions have been brilliant, and they've showed me many, many things. You're clearly an expert in some of these things. I know you wouldn't want that label, but... Nevertheless, I'm going to give it to you. And uh, (laughs) thank you so much for your help, support, helping us think through these really tricky things. I know that you do this for a living as well. And uh, God bless you in all that ministry. Can we just give uh, June a little hand? Thank you, June. And those of you who don't know, June is actually training for uh, ministry in the Church of England. So June's going to be doing this more and more. Praise the Lord for that. Um, Lewis, I think we're going to sing our final song. Let's bring our hearts one more, to, one more time to Christ the King, our Lord and God, our Saviour. And remember those verse, those words from that verse that we heard before. Even if we're struggling and feeling the pain and suffering and uh, discomfort, whether in our body or in our mind or in our soul, let's hear these words again. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away.